0: We gather today as God's people to worship, to adore a king, to put aside some of the busyness of our schedules, some of the demands. Sometimes only is your only day off. And you've decided to come here and to worship. Along with this of people our amazing God we pray we sing we open up God's word and our hope more than anything is to teach families to know obey and enjoy Christ so we can be salt and light wherever God sends us whatever assignment God has given us I do want to say thank you for your prayers last week It was an amazing time for Kara and I, and just to get to know the Helton and the Paulson family just a little bit more. But I know that you guys met, and I know we prayed for you, and we think God, again, is doing a work here. You know, we've been spending some time in the Gospel of John, literally spending time with Jesus. This feisty apostle shared his perspective near the end of his life. And he had an agenda. His agenda was that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is the Son of God and that by believing in him, you will have power to live because of his name. You know, each week at least for the last six weeks that I've spoken, we are watching Jesus and we are learning Jesus and we are seeing a little bit about his claims as being Messiah and Son of God and Rabbi and Savior. We've noticed in these first few chapters that he seeks out the lost and offers them life few weeks back, we looked at a person named Nicodemus who was quite a religious person. He knew the Old Testament so very well. His whole life was religion. And yet Jesus met with him and saw that he was empty. And said, Nicodemus, you need new life. You need to be reborn. That's why I sent my son. That's why he spread his arms and the blood was spilled so that you might be restored to your creator, to your father. And that you might have life abundant now and eternal eventually. Last time I talked about a Samaritan woman. She was also lost, but a secular kind of a lost. She was so surprised when, well, this Jewish man spoke to her at a well. And she looked at him and and had a whole lot of questions. And Jesus, in the only way that Jesus could do, offered her, well, living water. Water that would quench her thirst. She was struggling. She was looking for all kinds of things in order to fill her tank. And Jesus says, hey... You're putting your emphasis on the wrong thing. You need me. And I am living water, and I want to be able to give you life. And and she had an amazing response. Her life was totally transformed. She goes back to her town. She shares all that Jesus had told her and said, hey, I think this is the Messiah. And boatloads of people from that town came out and met the Savior. Well, today we hang out with Rabbi Jesus again. He teaches and models this week to the disciples. This week to a group of guys that, well, they're new in relationship. They've been hanging around. But again, let me remind you that the rabbinic way back then is that you would hook yourself up to a rabbi, a teacher, and I think the best way to look at it is, is anyone who's in the trades, it's, it's kind of an apprenticeship. And you would be able to go and sit at the master's feet and you'd learn how to do life. And you'd learn what to teach. And you'd learn what was important. So z- these disciples were just in the very early stages of this whole thing. And, and they were following and hanging out with Jesus, the Messiah. Well, from the very beginning, what's so cool about Jesus is that he had an agenda. And whether they were lost or whether they were followers, whether they were young, whether they were old, Jesus had the ability to see what was needed. The disciples needed a lesson on harvesting. So what I'd like you to do is turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 4, we're going to focus starting in verse 31 through 38. If you're newer to this, you're, uh, it's, John is one of the Gospels right in the very begin, beginning of the New Testament. And I've asked Rob Maddock to read our scripture for us. So Rob, if you wouldn't mind uh, doing that, we'll start at verse 31.
1: Meanwhile... The disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know this saying, one plants and another harvest. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work. And now you will get together the harvest.
0: Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for what teaches us. I thank you, dear God, that we have an opportunity to be able to sit at your feet, to watch your example, to learn from you. Lord, you've been up in glory for a while now. And you're looking down and You have taught your disciples in order that they would be able to teach others. So, this was one of the lessons you gave them. So, I pray, Father, that we would hear. We would learn from you today. And it would actually change us, transform us, help us understand the assignment that you've given us. Lord, we know that your word is being preached all over the world, all over the country all over our county. We pray right now, Father, that you would use your word powerfully and that you'd continue to do kingdom work in all of the surrounding churches. We love you. In your name, amen. As many of you know, in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman was, well, being introduced to Jesus. Just at the end of Jesus' conversation, in the very beginning, the Scriptures tell us that Jesus sent his disciples away to go get some food. They had been traveling. So while he was at the well, and while he was sharing good news with this Samaritan woman, she responded, and it was about that time that all the disciples came back. And they had, you know, uh, bags of Wendy's burgers, And they were ready to be able to distribute this because Jesus really liked Wendy's at that time. And just about that time, this lady leaves and she's going to the town all excited about what God has just done in her life. Jesus shocks the disciples. You know, isn't that just like Jesus, though? The more time you spend with Jesus, the more you think you know Jesus, and the more that we think we understand who God is, Jesus just shocks us. He turns the table on us. He treats people differently than we would treat them. He forgives faster. He encourages people. And at times, sometimes he's stern with people. But he always surprises us. He does. And so the disciples think they're doing the right thing. They get all the food. They come back. They're a little bit shocked that he's talking to a woman. And that culture is a little odd for that situation. But she's gone now. And this is where our scriptures pick up. Every day, Jesus was changing a paradigm. Jesus always had an agenda. For the lost, it was living water and salvation from existing to experience life. For the disciples, it often was priorities. And this is what we're going to see today again. Is that the disciples are doing good things. The disciples actually were good people. But sometimes their priorities were a little screwed up. Kind of like us. Kind of like us. And so as Jesus was looking out, as Jesus was developing these different folks, what would happen is that, that Christ would be able to share with these guys just some truths, some truths. And this is what happened. So the time came... When they brought the food, and they were confused about eating, but actually their confusion was more about life. Jesus said, and understood, well, Jesus understood that food was necessary, He knew we all had to eat, but it's far less important and even pales next to doing or understanding. God's will. Now, if we're honest, even as we read this text, each one of us probably really enjoy a good meal. Many of us. Probably all of us. And if you enjoy food in a great way, and you hear me say, well, you know what? Probably the more important thing Rather than eating, is to hearing from God and listening to God. There might be a few kind of say, uh, okay, amen, a little soft amen, maybe, uh, maybe a little louder. But, but most are going like, hey, if I had a choice, turkey dinner or obeying God, well, again, we probably want to do both, but we could justify the turkey dinner. I mean, this is really, really good stuff. We're going to have family. It's going to fellowship. All that. All right? But food is necessary. But Jesus flipped the page and said this. Nourishment comes from doing. From finishing God's assignments. You know, the truth is, we can't do. Until we listen. You know, last Monday, my grandson Joey, he's eight years old, he came home from school and he was all excited. He said, Gramps, 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 I have an assignment for you. Okay, Joey, you know, bring it on. Let's do it. He goes, I don't think you can do it. I go, are you serious? So he hands me this sheet of paper. And he says, Gramps, what you need to do is read the instructions and do what it says, but you have to do it in five minutes. I said, no problem. I get my paper out, he gets the timer out, and and I start whipping through this thing. There's about 10 or 11 things. The first instruction was read all the instructions. (laughs) I bet you know what I didn't do. Because I'm going to kick. No, I'm going to... Do the best I can in this whole thing. And Joey's not going to win on this. So I start whipping this out. And all of a sudden, Joey says, five minutes, Gramps, five minutes, yeah. And I go, "Whoa, I'm only down to about five. I go, Joey. He goes, well, di- Grandpa, I got to tell you this. You know what the last instruction was? And I read it. And it said, do only the first two. All right, buddy, you win, you win. I, I like doing, and, and probably if every one of you were to do this, and I know some of you would have read the directions all the way to the end and done it perfectly. Yeah, me either. I didn't. I didn't do that. So really, what, what Jesus wants our, or his disciples to do is listen and then Do. You know, last night, I was reading in Ezekiel, and Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, this verse, these verses stuck out to me, because I was talking about listening and doing today. Now, I can't give you the whole background on Ezekiel, but Ezekiel was a priest, and he was a prophet, and he was, uh, well, God's spokesman in a very hard time. In fact, every time he spoke God's word, very, very few people listened. But this is what God told Ezekiel. He said this, Son of man, let my words sink deep into your own heart first. Listen to them carefully for yourself. Then, well, let me read that again. Son of man, let all my words sink deep into your own heart first. Listen to them carefully for yourself. Then go to your people in exile and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Do this whether they listen to you or not. You know, the truth is, is that so many of us do read God's Word, hear God's Word, listen to God. But sometimes we begin to act before we let God talk to us. See, we need to spend time reading and hearing, then listening. In fact, if you've been part of our celebration service, we model this every single Sunday for you. We talk about who God is, open up his word, sing praises to him, and then during one part after the message, we spend a couple minutes to begin hearing from God. Before you step out into the lobby, before you go watch your football games, before things get really crazy, we just say, God, what is it that you're saying to me? Because I bet it's important. I think it's urgent. And so one of the greatest enemies or one of the greatest strategies that our enemy has, I think, is that we're busy doing good things. And we do a lot of good things, but listening is a really hard discipline. You know, in my opinion, I think it's, it's best to actually do in community. In other words, we listen, we hear God, And we respond and we do that in community. If you could turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Starting there. Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 23 and 24. Let us hold tightly without wavering to this hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. The author of Hebrews says this. Um, he, He starts off a little bit earlier in these verses. and He says, hey, in light of you being part of God's family, because you have had your sins forgiven, You can go boldly into the throne room of God. You have access to God. And because you have access to God, this is what I'd like you to do. I want you to hang on to my promises. And I want you to think of ways you might be able to motivate or in some of your translations, stimulate or stir one another up in good works. You know, small groups, whether you call them growth groups or huddles or support groups or family groups, get together. And we're just in this stage right here at My where we're going to be developing a little bit more Of our small groups people who come together who cluster together who well learn about each other learn about God and begin to listen together to what maybe God may have to say the greatest small group in my opinion is the family that's where you live out life that's where you discuss what you learn and it's awesome to be able to have families that can do that but in a close second place comes a church and a close second place is it's a family of god that comes together and really encourages others because life is sometimes hard in fact life most of the time is hard you know what does motivate actually look like what, what are some things that we might be able to do? Well, you know what? If you have the New International Version in front of you, or if you have um, the New English Bible in front of you, there's a different word that's translated here. And instead of motivate or stimulate or stir up, it uses the word spur. Spur. Now, I think, again, if you have not either grown up around horses or cowboys or cowgirls, you look at these things called spurs and you go, oh, Rick, how inhumane. How could you do that? Or how can you expect cowboys in that to to hurt those animals? Well, some of you know that I had an opportunity as I was growing up, to be a head wrangler at Silver Birch for a few years. And I had spurs. And if you don't understand what spurs are, you have probably uh, a lack of understanding of how beautiful these really are. My favorite horse of all time, his name was Huey. It was a gray pinto and had blue eyes. I loved Huey. Huey could do things that no other horse could do. I was always on Huey, and whether it be leading or trailing, it just didn't matter. Huey was fast. Huey, well, there's something between a rider and a horse, and I loved this horse. So you say, Rick, well, why did you wear spurs with Huey? Very simple. Spurs are not there to injure an animal. Spurs are not there even to uh, hurt hurt an animal. Spurs are there when you gently touch their withers. All of a sudden, that animal says, "Whoa, Rick, whatever you want, the next thing I've got to listen. This is huge. So if there was some kind of an emergency in the back and some girls got stung by hornets, I would just take my, my right spur and just put it right back in his withers. Immediately, Huey would whip around and we'd be on our way. If there was something that had to happen, something that, that he was not aware of, you'd take the spur and you'd just touch it. Now maybe, again, there's all different kinds of spurs, but spurs are never, ever, ever trained to abuse animals. Spurs are only used to say, hey, when you feel this, let's move. Let's listen. There's something really important that we have to do together. That's, you know what, I wouldn't. But can you hold on just a little bit and we'll, it's okay. Okay. Oh, good. Good. Okay. That's good. So one of the things that spurs do then and in this context is what we're hoping to say is that as brothers or sisters that actually come around and we're in these small groups, all right, what's spurring one another on is just simply encouraging them to do what God wants them to do. And as you open up the scriptures, it's a beautiful, absolutely a beautiful thing to be able to spur one another on to good works. It's not abusing anyone. It's not hurting anyone. It's not discouraging anyone. It's really just saying, hey, I want to encourage you to do what is right, to do what is healthy, to do all the things that we need to do as believers. It's a beautiful thing. Way to look at the body. In fact, if your version doesn't say spur, I'd encourage you to write it in at that time. And all really what a small group is hang on, hang with each other so that you might be able to spur one another to encourage them and to strengthen them. I'm going to toss something out. I've been here almost a year, and one of the things that I have missed most is a guys' group. Now, it's not that we haven't had guys' groups here. It's a special kind of guys' group. In fact, I'm going to call it a spur group. It just came to me. This is going to be a guys' spur group. And we're going to meet at 6 in the morning right here at church. And I'm not sure whether it be a Tuesday or a Thursday, but I'm just going to toss this out. Because my hope would be this, is that we would gather six or 10 or 20. Or my hope at my last church was a 100 guys I prayed for, that we would meet together. We would read through the Bible together and come together each week at 6 o'clock for an hour, 6 to 7. And be able to say, hey, what's God talking to you about? What are you hearing from God? What are you hearing from God and disobeying? What I, You know what? I want to spur you on to do what God is asking you to do, to be obedient in some areas. And if for some reason without pushing, and no elbows, wives, here, okay, Don't spur, no, uh, you can spur them later if you want. But if you would like to be part of some kind of a group like that, reading through the scriptures and responding, and you have time because it's going to be a little sacrificial, I get that. You let me know. You let any one of our leaders know. I'll connect with you. I'll contact you. And hopefully we can start this up sooner than later. Abundant living means listening and doing and sometimes we need to be spurred, but really it means finishing, finishing. You know, uh, one of the things, uh, if you can go to the next slide for me, in my home office above my door, I've got this saying, finish it. Now. One of the things that I have learned is that so many of us, including myself, love starting things, don't we? We love starting projects. Um, And then as soon as it gets a little more difficult, oh boy, we kind of put it away or or whatever. When I left the youth ministry and went into Grace Community Church as their senior pastor, um, a group of high school seniors... you okay okay all right a group of high school seniors gave me this plaque all right it's not very classy I got to let you know they all signed the little things in the back and that but one of the things that I shared over and over and over again is that each of us have an opportunity to be able to hear from God to listen to God and to do all what God asks us to do. And I just want to encourage you, this is what Jesus was trying to say. So as he continued, he used a familiar illustration of what doing is. He said, planters and harvesters, or reapers, do. Both planting and harvesting is important, but Jesus said, both planters and harvesters are filled with joy when they do what God has asked them to do. If you open your Bibles of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes it this way. We're going to start at verse 5. He says, after all, who is Apollos? Well, he was a teacher. And who is Paul? That's him. We're only servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work that God gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering, but important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work, for we are both God's workers. You see, planters are important. They are. If you uh, watch the World Series, and many of you have, the Astro story is actually a pretty amazing story. Because on June 30th, 2014, Sports Illustrated had this cover now, you may not be able to see it well, but it's kind of a scary cover. You would say, oh, Sports Illustrated, yeah, we get it. You know, they're the 2017 world champions. But if this happened on June 30th, 2014, there was a guy that wrote an article and says, you know what? The Astros are planting their seeds well. They are working in their farm system. They are developing. At this, this day, they had the worst record in baseball. Okay, worst record in baseball. And what's kind of cool is that they began to plant. No one even knew. And basically the Cubs did exactly the same thing. They knew that there needed to be some planting happening before there would be any kind of a harvest. But planting is hard because you don't see a lot of results. But planting has a window. So what are some examples of planting? Well, I can tell you this, is that as long as I've been in any kind of ministry, one of the things we've emphasized is that young people are a whole lot more tender. Young people have a whole lot, well, they haven't been scarred yet for the most part. That's why we have such an emphasis on our Sunday mornings as we continue to teach young people in all parts of our building, and because of the flood, uh, there are different parts of our building at this moment, you know. But what we have an opportunity to do is plant seeds. We get to share with them who Jesus is, we get to open up God's Word. And the younger they are, the more opportunities each one of us have to be able to plant and to be able to focus on this. You know, harvesters are important. I want you to know. Planters are important, but harvesters are also important. You may not know this, but uh, the pictures that are on the screen right now are uh, Peter and Deb Cernick's farm. You may not know Peter and Deb. But that's basically where Amanda grew up. Amanda is one of uh, our, our administrators here, and uh, she is involved in our high school ministry. And one of the neat things is that she grew up, and in, in planting and harvesting is very, very familiar to her. But to me, I, I grew up in the city, you know, planting and harvesting didn't work very well, at least where I was, all right? But harvesting does have a window. You have a certain time that you need to plant. If any of you want to go plant things right now, my guess is they're not going to bloom in December. You know, it it doesn't work that, that well. But harvesting, and again, I don't know what the window is for every crop, but there is only a window. You've got to harvest at a certain time, or you miss it. And in Jesus' story, what Jesus said is harvesters are well-paid because they get a great benefit because they get to see people who experience abundant life and eternal life. Jesus is saying this to his disciples. I sent you to harvest because the fields are ripe. I'm actually modeling for you what that means. There's a lady here. You might not have seen her need. But I did. And she was ripe. And I offered her living water and she responded in just a few clicks, you're going to see a whole town that comes in. I sent you to harvest because the fields are ripe. You know, do you think fields are ripe right now? Do you think that people in your neighborhood or in your office or on your sports team or in your classroom are a little bit tired of politics, are a little bit tired of, oh, you can just name it, the rat race? Jesus said this to his disciples, you don't have to harvest, we get to harvest. We have an opportunity to be able to share good news. And what does that harvesting look like today? Well, I think again, we've been having all this modeled right to us. It really has. Jesus interacted with two people, one very religious and one very secular. He shared with them life, He told them that He was the Messiah. He pointed them to hope. Now again, we aren't the Savior and we aren't the Messiah, but many of us have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what we are offering to people. It's not our lifestyle or our choices. It's that we get to point people to Jesus. He is the hope. That is why we worship Him. That is why we adore Him. is our hope you know another note is that Jesus at least at this time talked about four months that was a normal time for barley to grow because probably at that time barley fields were all around them and that's what Jesus was looking at but I think what Jesus was trying to tell the disciples here is you know what it normally takes four months when you plant a seed and when you harvest but I want you to know, when I'm around, oftentimes that time period changes. It's kind of cool. You see, God has his own timing. And the harvest season is here. And there might be some, maybe even in your household, well, that are ready to be harvested, that, that might respond to Jesus. And there are others that, whoa. Whoa. Maybe you're going to plant some seeds and maybe you're going to water and maybe you're going to pray and maybe a year or two years or 10 years or 15 years down the road, God is going to bring the growth and the harvest. You know what's so cool about being one of God's kids is that God just asks you to be faithful. That's all. Be faithful and listen. Be faithful and listen. Jesus models evangelism and gathering in the harvest. Again, we are not going to skip a section, but last week we looked at verses 39 through 42 in John chapter 4. And it was so exciting that the town just came back and wanted to see Jesus. And some responded because the Samaritan woman's testimony was so unbelievable. They said, whoa, if you met this guy and you say he's a Messiah and your life has changed, I want the same thing. But in these verses, you're also going to see that some people in the town responded because they themselves heard the words of Jesus, the words of life. How cool is that? And I look at that and I see Jesus using the most unlikely missionary, the Samaritan woman. And Jesus also models the most unlikely fruit to a Jewish man, Samaritans, who were just absolutely hated. But a transformed life gives you platform. And God's Word gives you power. So as we wrap this up, what did we learn about Jesus? Well, one of the things is that Jesus is so patient. He desires deeply not only to, well, share with people the hope, but to model so that others might be able to understand this. Jesus wants us to understand about nourishment and about being nourished. And that way above eating, listening to God is more important and more satisfying. Wow. We also saw that Jesus cares for the lost. He wants to send people into the harvest. He desires for each one of us to be able to open our eyes and see the fields that are ready. What did we learn? What was modeled for us in the text? God loves changing the paradigm. He shakes us up all the time. When we're comfortable, He kind of shares with us a verse or a text. And we have the opportunity to, well, obey or not. Nourishment for God is not about food. It's about listening and doing and finishing. And if you do, there is unbelievable joy for both the planter and the waterer and the harvester. Let's do because there is a window in both planting and harvesting. I don't think the only ministry that works are ministries that happen within these walls or even through this church. I actually think that, that God does things in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and at our schools. And we have an opportunity to be able to represent Him wherever we go, always looking, always listening, to be able to share the hope that's in our heart. And maybe, maybe God is going to use the most unlikely missionaries, you and me, in some of the most unlikely places At a construction site, at an algebra classroom, on a neighborhood walk, wow, how cool, how cool that we get to be part of the plan. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you again, Father, that your word is powerful and that you care a whole lot for lost people. You don't want any of us just to exist. That's never been your plan. You want us to hear from you and listen to you and be so connected with you. You tell us when we open up our mouths and when we don't. We are so connected with you, God, and have such privileges. I I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Lord, if I'm honest, though, I'm pretty sure I've neglected the harvest at times. I've walked by people who were discouraged and needed to hear from you or be pointed to you. Lord, I don't want to feel guilty. I just want to be obedient. And listening to you, Father, is more important than eating. Would you help me see that, Father? Would you help me take time to be in your word, to listen to you, and to do And you will not only be pleased, but it will bring you great glory. We thank you, Father, in your name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we worship?